a podcast that investigates the experience of self, the events that have shaped our world, the people that we have become, by focusing on the person first. So I, I wanted to just quickly cover off um, just a quick potted history. Yes. Uh, do you, are you, is this sort of your one minute elevator picture of you? When if you meet somebody from like the states who doesn't know anything about you, right? Do you, do you, can you do that? Well, I can try. Let's well, give. Do they have to be from the states? Am I appealing to a, a to US market? <laughs> does that help? I don't know. The, the response is. I always get. I'm from Birmingham, and the response I always get when speaking to Yankees is Birmingham. That's where Aussies from, right? Birmingham. Um, and I've just been speaking to Stu uh, about Aussie Osborne and Black Sabbath, actually. So mm. I am from Birmingham. I work within the media and entertainment industry. I have done for almost ten years now. Uh, I worked on Kerrang Radio in Birmingham when yep. that was based up there for five years, and then when their studios closed down. I moved to London, worked for a year with a station down here called Team Rock Radio. Both of those rock orientated. Yeah. Uh, so that's very much my area of expertise. But I studied English and film at university as well. So I've always had quite a uh, you know, a strong passion and interest in the literature arts, and, and cinema and the arts in general. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then but th- that station also closed down, Team Rock. So Kerrang! closed, Team Rock closed. Then I started writing for the Team Rock website, which had under its umbrella uh, Metal Hammer, Classic Rock, and Blues and Prog. So mm. various different specialist music magazines. They also went out of business. Um, Scuzz TV was a music channel on Sony, um, mm. Freeview, all of that. They closed their doors last year as well. Um, I was a TV presenter on there for a couple of years too. So the pattern is basically wherever I work, you will go out of business. <laughs> so after four times in three or four years of having the carpet pulled from underneath me, I decided it was time to go solo yeah. and branch out on my own and go independent. So that's what I've been doing for the last two and a bit years on my podcast, first and foremost, yeah. which is called Life in the Stocks, yes. which is available on ACAS, Spotify, iTunes, and all other good podcast platforms. And the, the premise of of that show is I sit down like we're doing now one-on-one with musicians, actors, comedians, photographers, directors, industry figures, and talk to them at length and in depth about life. Mm. Hence the title life in the stocks, a nice little pun on my mm. surname uh, and their career and art. And so that's my main focus. And then I also host a bunch of live Q and a events. Mm. I'm doing one with Dom Jolly in May, did a oh, bunch of dirty that. Sanchez. Last year, I did Sean Ryder. Last year, uh, also doing a little podcast extravaganza with Stu and Chris from Hardcore Listing and also the lads from This Is England, Thomas Turgoose yes. and Andy Ellis, who have a podcast called Overrated Everything. So we're doing an all-day podcast event in July called Attack of the Podcast. It'll be me, Hardcore Listing, and Overrated Everything, going back-to-back with special guests and interviewing them in front of a live crowd. And then I also do a lot of tour DJing with bands. So I go out on the road with the likes of House of Pain, um, wow. the Bronx, Floggy Molly, Less Than Jake, Real Big Fish, predominantly punk and ska punk bands. Yeah. Steel Panther, I just did a UK and European tour with, and I basically fill the gaps between the live bands and keep the crowd sort of entertained and partying in between the groups and then introduce the bands on stage and, and do all of that. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, I guess you could say in Nathan Barley terminology, I'm a self-facilitating <laughs> media <laughs> node. That's me in a nutshell. Broadcaster, Crazy. journalist, presenter, DJ. Yeah, fantastic. In, so th- that being between, you're DJing and like comparing with the crowd and interacting with them as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, I usually dress up as various different characters mm. on tour. So the Steel Panther tour that I just did, if you don't know them, they're a parody glam metal band. So oh, sounds great. They're very much in the vein of Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Poison, well, Motley Skid Crue Row. Parody. Well, they parody Motley Crue. 
So they have songs in oh. that style, but they're all about <laughs> sex and they're very much an overt satire. Yeah, like Bloodhound Gang. Very much so, yeah. What yeah. Bloodhound Gang did to punk rock and hip hop, yeah. they kind of do almost like a weird Al Yankovic style approach. You know, all their songs are overtly comedy, but musically actually very well put together. Yeah. Uh, so I did that tour dressed as Wayne from Wayne's World, hence, hence this hat, which I can't quite let go. So I had the full black wig, black t shirt. You know, laminate around my chest. Got backstage passes to Alice Cooper. All right. I did Tony Clifton for A Man on the Moon. Yeah. And most recently, the documentary, of course. Fantastic yeah, documentary, fantastic. Jim and yeah. Andy. So I did one tour dressed as him, and I was in character for the entire tour. You know, you shut the hell up. Tony Clifton. So, yeah, I like to bring an element of theater to everything as well. I was talking to Stu a moment ago. I guess for me, I've always wanted to just be a performer in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, had aspirations early on of being an actor, never quite followed through on that. I do the occasional bit of stand-up, but for me, I'm just at home on the stage to an audience kind of, you know, showing off. What's that feeling like? Without being too annoying, like, you know, I know when to switch off in a social scenario. I'm not one of those guys that's always on. And then suddenly, yeah, and then <laughs> crash. Yeah. <laughs> but what's that feeling like of being on stage then? So is that, do you, do you get to think on stage, you think? No, I'm never really in the moment, conscious of the moment, because the adrenaline is so, you know, all-encompassing and it's a real... For me, it's the greatest rush and thrill. The time I feel the most alive is when I'm on stage. And I always love live radio because you can really interact with the audience that way. I used to get a lot of phoners on. I used to do a lot of requests in my show, so I'd call people up. They'd text in their song requests. I'd call them up, get them on the air, and just have fun with, with the listeners and bring them into the show. And that's something that you miss podcasting as much yeah. as i adore podcasting and it's really been the saving grace in my life over the last couple of years it's allowed me to continue to do what i love and i think it's this very exciting new thriving medium you know case in point you're doing one here yeah uh, but what you do miss is that instant on the spot engagement with the audience because this is a pre-record then it goes out people are listening to it in the future and they can't immediately email or t you know they might tweet you and say i really enjoyed such and such an episode yeah, but no crowd you don't get that feedback right now me and you here in the moment so yeah. that's why i love doing the live q a's that i do is because you interview the whatever the guest is in front of the crowd yeah. you feel the mood in the room you vibe off that and then you yeah. open it up after the interview to the audience and have a q a yeah. and then it can go anywhere yeah and that's what i really found particularly with the dirty sanchez shows that i did we did about 14 i think all around the uk and ireland last year and the first half of the show would very much be a loosely scripted overview of the history of Dirty Sanchez, the stories behind the scenes. We'd screen never-before-seen clips and all of that. But then part two of the show would be the audience Q&A, and every single night was different because the questions were different. So the yeah. stories that we got into were, were yeah. different every night. They've got and stories. Anything, and they've got stories for days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, anything can happen. And I like that unpredictability of being on stage in front of a live crowd. For me, the unknown... And uncertainty is actually quite, uh, you know, an exciting prospect, and I thrive in that environment. Like, yeah. So does that mean you don't like repeating things, or you get bored of repetition quite quickly? Yeah, I mean, even going back to my radio show, and this was quite a unique quality, if I can be so bold as to say. But I used to work within a new music format, and I'd have a rule that I'd, there'd, there'd be no repetitions Monday to Wednesday. So every single night, I wouldn't play the same song. It would be mm. different tracks Monday to. Wednesday, Thursday would be the best of the week, so the highlights, and then Friday, purely requests. And yeah, mm. I think that variety is the spice of life in all walks of life. Mm. And I think to keep things interesting, you need to take yourself out of your comfort zone. You always need to try new things. You always need to strive to be, you know, thrust into new environments. Like with this podcast, for instance, 
I had no idea what we were going to be doing, and I still don't. No. Um, so I'm just, I'm just settling in. But no, I'm fine. You can throw anything at me, and I will relish in the moment of uh, reacting on the spot. Has the last five years been the happiest of your life? Well, that's a question. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether any of my years have been truly happy. I think my happiest years, and I was actually talking to Stu about this earlier, were my tumultuous teens when my family was falling apart, my parents yeah. were breaking up, but yeah. I really adored being a teenager, and I really yeah. took the ball by the horns, and you know, I did all kinds of things that I wouldn't encourage anyone else to do, and I certainly wouldn't want, if I ever had children of my own doing, but I just reveled in experimentation. Yeah. And I always have. Like, I guess that goes back to that same idea of trying new things. But um, I am a very positive person. I broke my spine five years ago and wound up in hospital for three months lying flat on my back whilst the bones uh, conservatively healed. So I had three months to lie just on my back in bed with a lot of time to think. And that really reset my whole philosophy on life. And I've been through some very you know, painful and traumatic experiences in that time period, through the industry that I work in, there's a lot of uncertainty there. So um, mm. I've certainly been through a lot, but then it hasn't everybody. It's all relative. But I like to keep an upbeat, positive frame of mind towards life. Um, but I certainly do have my demons, and I certainly am in a constant inner struggle with myself as to whether I'm happy or not. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, relationships have always been yeah. something which inevitably ends. I'm single at the moment, have been. For a couple of years. So in answer to your question, am I happy? Are these the happiest years? I don't know. I'm still figuring it all out. <laughs> Do you, so that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I really think the um, teenage years, I completely agree. It's the age of innocence, isn't it? Even really? if you're in a tough spot at the time, yeah. you know that it's only, you know, things are, there's always the, the prospect that things will get better. And that's what I always try and bear in mind when things are tough is, it, it, may, it might be bad now, but inevitably things will turn around and things will get better. And they always do. They invariably always do. So as a kid, was that an, an innate feeling of, oh, things are just going to get better? And do you have to kind of sum up the energy to believe in it now? Or have you always been consistent with life just is up and down? That's the nature. Um, well, my mum is bipolar. And so I grew up with quite a, a unique family environment in that she would often uh, have flights of mania and we'd have to section her. And so I spent from the age of 7 to 17, 18, when I left home, a lot of my time was spent in psychiatric wards visiting my mum. So I was around extreme mental illness from a very young age and extreme chaos in my life from a very young age. So I've always been of the opinion that whatever life throws at you, there is a, where there's a will, there's a way. And you've just got to roll with the punches and take what's given to you and work with it. And my mum, Touchwood, has been well for coming up on a decade now, and okay. she's doing great. and. Her and my dad have been through all kinds of stuff, and they're now close friends. They're divorced and have been for many years, but they never remarried, never got other partners. And they, you know, are basically the happiest divorced couple you've ever met. And Sorry. I've just seen everything that's been thrown at my mum and my dad and at me and my sister, and we're still a happy family. And, you know, we, awesome. we've gotten through, and when I broke my spine, that was a really tough time for us in one regard because obviously my mum and dad and sister had to almost watch me die and then be there through this experience of me. Will I walk again? Won't I? And all this stuff has really just, you know, it's, it's forged really strong bonds between us and it's actually made us closer right. than ever before. And I do think that the worst things that happen to us are sent to test us. And through the worst things that happen to us, actually we often get the best outcomes, mm. you know, strength of character and a sense of self and defiance. And I just think that, 
whatever happens to me, I know that I've got the tools to deal with it. Whatever. That's interesting. That's not to say that I don't have low moments and I don't struggle with, you know, issues and demons, but I know in myself that I can handle whatever life's got in store for me and I'll hopefully come out of the other side a better, stronger person for it. Experience is everything, right? When it did, shapes who we are. Yeah. Some people, when did you feel confident about that statement? I've never really had any doubt about it, as I said, because I just grew up in chaos. I've never thought, oh, we're not going to get through this, because it was all, like, the norm was upheaval. Yeah. There from a very early constant. age. And I lost a sister at a very early age. I was four when um, my mum gave birth to another kid called Julia, and she only lived three to four weeks, and then she... She died because she was born with some, uh, you know, extreme illness, and so my parents had to bury her, mm. which I don't really remember. But you can only imagine, can't you, what that does to two people to see a tiny little coffin with your offspring going into the ground? I mean, you know, stillbirths, miscarriages, anything like that is the worst of the worst. But to actually bring life into the world yeah, and then see it not even true. make a month is yeah. savage. And um, yeah, I mean, life is cruel and unkind but we can't wallow in that mm. you know why can't we wallow in it because we're here we're only here for a set period of time and we've got to make the most of the time that we have because who knows what's next and i'm not afraid of death i would happily die today and embrace whatever the other side has in store but i'm i'm just of the opinion that you only get one life you've got to love yourself love that life yeah. and and try and and live it to the best that you you can with what you've got and when you go to you know, poverty-stricken countries where people have, no, you know, nothing. Mm. And you see how happy sometimes they are. Mm. I, I think depression is a Western disease. I really do. Um, obviously, I know a lot of Asian countries suffer from it because there's unique pressures there with you have to be successful, going back to what we were saying earlier about certain cultures instilling from a very young age, this yeah. kind of... I th do think that there's an Asian spin on it as well and an Eastern spin on it, but I do think that 21st century depression, anxiety, things like this as we now refer to them, and it's great that people are talking about it all a lot more. Yeah. But for me, I do think it's a very Western disease because often when you go to places like Africa, and I've been to North Africa, I haven't been to the mainland in Africa, but I've been to North Africa and even Poland, which is you know, definitely a place that knows austerity and hardship. You just find that often people with the least are the happiest. So what, what is that then? What, how do you break down the Western disease? Uh, well, social media is now a modern phenomenon and a big factor in it i think but i think it's just this idea of pressure social pressure professional pressure yeah pressure to fit in to succeed to look good what, what is it yeah what do you think success is in terms of when it comes from a pressurized angle well it's, it's holding up it's a monetary success success for me is happiness if you are content in your lot then for me you're a successful person but then gene simmons actually raised an interesting point and i'm still not sure whether i agree with him or not on it he was on my podcast and he said because i said success for me is if you get to do what you love and you're happy then you're successful you know if you're a, a good father then that makes you for me a success in life you've brought life into the world you've raised this human being they love you you love them that for me is an achievement and same thing with artists you know if you are a brilliant painter or a great composer for me you're a success but then gene said to me well unless you make money of that trade and you're self-sufficient and independent are you a success and it was quite an interesting question because he's you know a staunch capitalist and he believes in you know money and power as the the key to the kingdom but 
He believes that's the key to happiness. He says that cap, uh, his direct quote is, capitalism is the guiding light for all humanity. That's Gene Simmons's philosophy and take on it, um, which he would argue and defend until the end of days. But there is a point, there is a truth in there. You know, so these artists who, like Van Gogh and people like that who aren't appreciated in their own lifetime, he obviously didn't think he was a success because he chopped his own ear off and things like that. And it is an interesting point, isn't it? If you don't make money doing what you love, are you a success? I would say yes. Gene would say no. What would you say? I don't... I think it's your own judgment that you're always left with at the end of the day. And that's why you get people like Keith Flint desperately upset with the things that were important to him. Whereas we all went the new, you know, the punk of our growing up. We must be similar ages. 33. I yeah. Am, yeah, yeah. So Firestarter for me was, yeah, one of those key yeah. light bulb moments in life where I went, what is this? Absolutely. Whatever it is, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he clearly had things that were more important to him. Yeah, and it's a real shame that like, so many artists of that generation in the last few years, from Chris Cornell, Scott Weiland, Chester Bennington, yeah. of that era, were heroes and legends and icons and changed the world and had such a, a positive and beautiful impact on millions and millions and millions of people's lives. Pardon me. But didn't have that ability within themselves to recognize that and appreciate that. And because I've met so many bands and musicians over the years that I've spent time with and interviewed and got to know. And, you know, some people are just stoked to be doing it and that's enough. Like they're just grateful for every day that they don't have to go and work a hard job. Yeah. And, you know, they get to travel the world and do what they love. And that for them is, you know, that's all they could have ever dreamed of. But then there's the other side of the pond who are the gargantuan stars that have, you know, changed the world forever. And yet something in them won't allow them to take comfort in that. And that's really one of the most heartbreaking things for me, isn't it? Is if you're such an important figure to so many people and, you know, in their own personal lives have undoubtedly been great fathers and husbands in most cases. Yeah. 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 But somehow just can't within themselves find peace. Yeah. That that's probably maybe I, I thought what it what would be the piece the the connection to what they've achieved. I really, I mean, I don't know this for certain, but I would imagine they go through a state of transposition where what everyone thinks that they are and what they've achieved, they're not. That's actually an image, uh, you know, a face yeah. or whatever. And that's fame, the most damaging drug of all. Yeah. What's yeah. that great quote about fame is a mask that eats away at the face? Yeah. It's. You know, it erodes who actually you you are to people. So if you had 20 years of people coming up to you and going, oh, dude, I loved it when you did that one thing that you did. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. remember for, Liam was especially... It comes to define you. Yeah, exactly. If you're, if you're in a... Um, maybe if you were producing, even if you were producing all the music and things like that, um, I think as soon as you've... I don't know what your, your thing is on art and creation, but as soon as you've done something, if you're able to let that thing go... You don't care about it that much anymore. You're just trying to find something new that inspires you, wouldn't you say? Well, Paul Weller is a good example of that. Um, yeah. You know, the Jam, one of the great bands. And the yeah. thing that I love about them is at the peak of their power, they just imploded, called it a day, and then said, see you later. And he's never looked back. He's never once reformed or gone out on some nostalgia trip. Yeah. And I love that. It's, you know, and he just wrote those songs as a young man, churned them out, didn't think much of them. Yeah. They're obviously these era-defining, timeless anthems, but for him, they were just a period in his life that he's left behind and he's looking forward and ever evolving. Now that's not to say that anything he's done since the jam has been as good, but for him, he's, oh, he's not looking back. Broken is it broken stones? Oh, come on. It's no, that's entertainment. Is it? It's no going underground. It's no down in the tube station at midnight. 
I mean, the jam is just unstoppable. It's just one example, but there's so many people I think who have just shit out gold. Paul, Paul McCartney being another great example. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. writing songs like Yesterday in his sleep, waking yeah. up and just yeah, humming it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and not being beholden to that period in time, to that one record, to that one song. Just like, yeah, that was a thing. It happened. Yeah. I've done it. I mean, imagine being in the Beatles, dude. Imagine being that famous where your band actually invents pop culture as we know it. Before the Beatles, there was no pop music, really. Of Like, the teenager was a 50s phenomenon what off the back Elvis, of rock. Though? Well, that wasn't pop culture, was it? It didn't no. seep into culture in such an all-encompassing way with fashion and art and, like, yeah. Pop, as we know, it began in the 60s, really, with the Beatles. They were the world's first pop band. Yeah. And to have been that famous and to be as, I've never met him, but as cool as Paul McCartney seems with it, I think that's the thing is how the individual deals with that's the right. fame monster. Because I've met some famous people who are the coolest motherfuckers on earth, completely unfazed by their fame. They're totally comfortable with it. They inhabit it. Yeah. They play up to it when they you know, can and want to, but... It doesn't bog them down. And then there's other people, often the more sensitive, introspective types, who aren't prepared for it. Kurt Cobain being, yeah. you know, a classic case in point. And it just eats away at them and yeah. destroys them. And then you're left thinking, fuck, I wish I'd never become successful in the first place, going back to that success term. Well, why not just walk away from it then? Because if those people, you know, who just drop in gold... Yeah, yeah. They seem to abandon it and not treat it like a, you know, something important in their life. Why do you think some people are unable, like Kurt Cobain? Well, drugs, I think, is often a key factor. Uh, yeah. You get lost in the, the consumption yeah. of, of heavy drugs. Uh, also, deep-rooted psychological issues that are already there and at play are magnified, yeah. intensified, and brought yeah. out. Um, perhaps personal stuff, what was going on with Courtney Love, perhaps at his time in his romantic life. There's all, I mean, we'll never know, will we ever, ever truly know what really plagues these people and what stops them from just, as you say, moving forward with their life, even if you just walk away. But then some people are just born to create, aren't they? And if they can't, then they're in their own head redundant and there ceases to be any point to existence, perhaps. I don't know. I've never been a creator in that regard. So I can't really relate to that. All I've tried to do is sort of document frontline, the creative experience and. Do you identify with creators though? A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I would like to say I'm a rock star without a guitar, Ben. That would be how I'd look at myself. (laughs) I I, I love, I like the idea of putting out something into the world, which, which changes the world forever. You know, whatever that might be a painting, a book, a film role, a song, whatever it is. I just love the idea of, because uh, it's beyond just a physical thing. It's beyond just a tangible product. There's something ethereal and magical at play. And I like the, I also like the journey that creative people go on. Yeah. What's inspiring those decisions? What's driving them? What's it like being in that passenger seat through that ride? Yeah. I've always been fascinated with um, The Edge if yeah. you will, like Hunter S. Thompson was not the guitarist in U2, I should point out. Oh, I uh, literally <laughs> thought you meant the guitarist. No, 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 fuck that guy. Um, I've always been fascinated with the idea of pushing the mind to the edge, and I think that, you know, goes back to growing up around mental illness. I, I learned very early on to embrace it, because there's definitely an element of, of mania 
and craziness, for lack of a more politically correct term, at play in my mind. But I learned very early on to embrace that and actually look at that as a positive thing. Um, because it gives you a source of ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. And a source of unrest as well. That's the downside. Um, but yeah, completely, uh, an untapped well of energy. Yeah. I love that. So, so it's kind of just, it's kind of, um, coming up to the surface and you, if you didn't act on it, would that cause you anxiety and stress? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Acting and and engaging with the world and talking to the world and documenting the world is that the reaction to the that kind of frisson and I just crave connection. I think because there's always so much going on inside my head and different brains operate at different levels and that's fine. And I learned with my ex girlfriend uh, that she just wasn't as and this isn't a derogatory way of looking at it, but she just wasn't as deep as me. So we weren't meant to, you know. What do you mean by deep? Well, I think that if you look at a brain like um, a triangle, let's say, right, a pyramid, yeah. and I do think that some people are just residing at that tip at the top, and they kind of just engage with the world around them as is, surface level. That's a television that puts out shows. Oh, so do you know what I mean? Accepting... And then there's people down the bottom who are way, way deeper, and they're just always questioning and interpreting and overthinking and i do think that different people operate at different levels and that's fine and i've learned now to be at peace with that and there's certain relationships that i have with friends and i know that that person is just only operating at said level and there's i'm not to try and say that i'm intellectually superior in any way it's just that i think different people's brains work differently and you know i'm one of those people who questions and overthinks and analyzes and you know has self-doubt and i'm always looking beneath the surface and so i do think some people are surface level others yeah. reside in that kind of ethereal mercurial area below and that's where i've always been fascinated is the the belly of the beast if you will because you know creativity is a crazy concept isn't it are you a father no no me neither so i can't even imagine i'll never know what it's like to be a parent because i don't think i'll ever have kids i don't think that's the trip that i'm on but it fascinates me yeah and i think that until you've brought life into the world and stared something in the eye that you've made You'll never truly know the real definition of creation. Yeah. Because you haven't been a creator in that sense, like life. I asked again to go back to Gene Simmons, but he's full of great quotes. I was like, <laughs> what's your proudest achievement? And he said, well, life's pretty good. Yeah. And I was like, what, your own? You think your proudest achievement is being Gene Simmons? And he's like, well, yeah, to, be, just, to just be here is a pretty fucking good achievement. Yeah, when you look at the chance of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but arguably his sperm did. You know, that's how Gene would spin it. <laughs> I, but life, again, that's why I call my podcast Life in the Stocks. Life is a trip, and I'm really engaged with that trip for better or worse. So life in the stocks makes me think like life is um, throwing tomatoes and shit at you. Of course. Well, because the interview scenario for some people is like the uncomfortable shackles of a medieval stock. But for me, it's more about just, you know. It should you know, be like that. It should be, right? <laughs> I should interview every person in stocks whilst the audience throws rotten veg at them. Now, I'm just engaged and always have been in the experience of life, what it is, why we're here, what yeah. makes us tick. Yeah. And so to have, I mean, this conversation we're having right now is completely different to the one I just had with Stu. And perhaps that's because you're operating at a similar kind of residual level as me uh, and Stu not to take anything away from Stu as I said it's never a, a derogatory or superior way of looking at it at all it's just different people are different and Stu's very much just like yeah you're on to talk about music really and these song selections and yeah, yeah we'll get into life a bit as well but I mean we've gone eight times deeper in half the time 
<laughs> <laughs> That's my strap line as well. There you go. Can I, I, I <laughs> That's to what she said. <laughs> does that all make sense? It does make sense. I, I want to know more about your personal philosophies because mm. at the heart of what you've said a lot is having had a worldview that is, I don't mean unshakable like you're an incredible stoic. Oh, I'm, I'm completely open to new ideas yeah, all that's the what time. I mean. yeah, I'm I don't like think a sponge, you're like, fundamental Give me sense. new stuff and I'll absorb it and apply it. That's yeah. why I love doing what I do is I try and take yeah. a tiny nugget. You know, for instance, I've quoted Gene twice and that's not the only person that's left an imprint on me. But yeah. everybody who I interview, they give me these certain nuggets, insights, philosophies, ideas, questions back at me. And I then take them with me and they stay with me then yeah. going forward in life. And I think, oh, what would that person think here of this? Yeah. And I like to try and look at life as that, every relationship that you have. However that relationship unfolds or develops over time, it has an influence and an impact on you as an individual, your psychological makeup, your spiritual yeah. I agree. essence. Yeah. And if you're not soaking it all up, then what are you doing? You're just asleep, aren't you? You're just cruising through life. Well, you're not changing. And that's fine because I said way. some people are. Yeah. Some people have not changed since, you know, when I knew them when they were 13 years old, 20 years later, they're exactly the same. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if anything, it's quite reassuring to know that this person you can call up after not speaking to them for six months to a year. Yeah. And they'll be exactly the same as when you last spoke to them. Yeah. And there's something really reassuring in that. And sometimes you need those people. But then other times you're like, I want to engage with someone that is on a completely other wavelength. Yeah and may have actually changed 180 from the last time I spoke to them. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And I want to know what inspired that switch. Do you, um, are you all right on your own? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I have no problem with being single at all. Uh, I've got a lot of really healthy female friends. Uh, well, not that they're healthy. I mean, like the, <laughs> the relationships are healthy. Uh, they're platonic. <laughs> I just know loads of fit birds. Uh, <laughs> and so I don't, I don't want or lack for connection in my life. But, well, hang on. Hang on, I have to jump in there. Connection yeah. is, as you've said already, it's many different things, right? Absolutely. So do you feel you're, you're fulfilling every type of connection you have? Yeah, because if I have physical needs, I will fulfill them in a purely physical way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I like I have so many beautiful, great friends that are both male and female and trans and, and everything else. And they bring into my life everything that I need to make me feel whole as a person. Um, I'm not in a position where I think, oh, a girlfriend would complete me because I feel complete in myself. That's and, so good. And with the friends and the family that I have in my life. And yeah, there are physical cravings as every physical being has, but... For me, I differentiate the two a lot. And when you can find the perfect package, when you've got the physical attraction and the emotional connection, then that's the dream girl, isn't it? But I'm yet to find that. I've always had one or the other. Right. I've always had a very passionate physical relationship with somebody or a very profound spiritual and emotional connection, but then the sex hasn't been as good. And so I've never really found the full package. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, for the large part, pretty okay on my own but then if i didn't do what i do for a living and yeah. didn't get to meet people you know all the time and have really deep because this is the great thing about this we've never met before there's no yeah. way we'd be having this conversation if these microphones weren't here and this wasn't the nature of this meeting i'm like this all the time do you know what? Well, <laughs> no, I'm, joking. I'm, joking. I'm down with that but do you know what i mean like these stages are set up to be this way that's right yeah and it gives I, you permission in a way doesn't it completely so it gives mm. you yeah journalistic free reign as well often with your you know your side and i'm the other side which is yeah. a, tr a trip for me and i've only done four or five of these but i always love them because 
I don't talk that much on mine, so I like the opportunity, as you can tell. I like to talk, so it's like nice to, to let loose. But if I didn't do what I do and I didn't have these communications and connections and conversations as a constant in my life, then I do think I would feel a void. Yeah. Um, and I'm not the best at living with my own, uh, living with my own, on my own with myself. Yeah. yeah. So I always like to try and share a flat or a house with somebody else. I don't think I'm, I could be one of those people that lives alone because no. then I would get lonely and dark. I mean, I hate, <laughs> just I, I hate the nighttime, dude. I have real problem sleeping and I wake up every two hours every night throughout the night. I've never had a full night's sleep in my life. And I get really dark at night when it's the end of the day and I'm left with just my own thoughts. I yeah. do because I stop and I overthink. Yeah. And often I don't like what I think uh, there's just something about the nighttime for me i hate it so i have to go to sleep listening to a podcast listening to music or watching a film yeah or a stand-up special i just have to have information going into my brain as i fall asleep because otherwise i'm just lying there i've never been able to meditate for that reason i've never been able to just to shush switch off go inside myself and and enjoy the the quiet yeah i guess that goes back to being brought up in this chaotic surrounding as i said i like activity and i like yeah. i like distractions really it's a natural state then yeah 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 i, I interviewed dom jolly and i'm doing a live q a with him in a few weeks but we spoke about his upbringing in lebanon yeah he was he was raised and he said that growing up in you know a conflict zone yeah it has a certain impact as it would on your psyche yeah and so he still now thrives off chaos and that's why he went on to do trigger happy and world shut your mouth and that style of comedy because yeah. he's at home in the heart of yeah chaos I think I saw some, um, or either one of his, I've read a few of his books. They're great, the travel books. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a new one else. coming out called The Hellabalooza Hiking Club, which is about him uh, basically hiking around Lebanon, which Lebanon. comes out in June. Amazing. I'll be getting that. But yeah, the dark tourist one's insane in Korea and Chernobyl yeah. and all these great places. Yeah. yeah. He, um, it, I, he's also saying about how he made Trigger Happy TV, and a lot of it was done very close to the shooting day. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, oh, yeah. Let's do this, yeah. let's do this now. Yeah, no script. That hasn't worked. Let's just try something different. Yep. I think the longest time they waited was making the costumes mm. and things like that. It's fantastic. Gorilla, isn't it? He's just in the moment, on the spot, working with what's around you. Yeah. Rather than staging environments and scripting gags. Choosing great music as yeah, well. Yeah, com the complete secret yeah. to that show's success was yeah. the, the use of music, for sure. But that's, for me, the, the secret to great visual art. Tarantino, I heard an interview with him once, and he said, marrying the right scene with the right song is the most cinematic thing you can do. And I think that's really Amazing. why cinema is the ultimate art form. Yeah. Because you have photography in the yeah. sense that you've got composition of the shot. 100%. You've got theater and the acting and the engagement of the characters and the dialogue. And then you have the diegetic sound that's added, or sorry, the non-diegetic sound that's added afterwards. What's diegetic so diegetic is sound within the scene. So right now there's background voices that people might oh, be able to yeah. hear. That would be diegetic because it's in the moment. Whereas yeah. if you put music underneath this in the edit, that would be non-diegetic because it's been added yeah. artificially. That's the old Dogma 95 rules, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, Lars von Trier. Some yeah. of my favourite cinematic work of all time. Yeah. I love it. Again, it's that punk rock, yes. same ethos. Let's work with what we've got. Let's That's make it. this happen. Harmony Kareen, I was obsessed with. Genius. Absolute up. genius. Yeah. Werner Herzog, there's a great quote from him. He said, the, the, the Do the voice. The reason I found out, how can I do it? Chickens scare me because they are so stupid. But he's talking about why Harmony Corrin's such a genius. He's like, the guy was 
He had bacon sellotape to the wall. Bacon sellotape to the wall. <laughs> I never, we've never spoken about that before, but I knew you'd be able to do a great accent. He's fantastic. I love that man. Yeah. I went, you know, he gets shot, doesn't he? No one that should life. ever hear that yeah. recording. Here, I disagree with Treadwell. <laughs> <laughs> I think nature is cruel and unkind and unforgiving. <laughs> Love that, man. I'm actually going to launch a podcast when I move back to London in May. Um, so maybe I can just do the exclusive announcement here and now. This oh, might yeah. go out afterwards, but uh, it's going to be called Zogcast. And yeah. it's going to be a podcast purely celebrating the work of Werner Herzog, oh, Zogcast. Wow. And the image I want to use is his face, but turned into like a Martian with the antennas coming out of his head and the sound waves. <laughs> and me and my friend Barney are going to co-host it. And we're basically going to start with the first film, which is that weird like 10-minute film of a chicken just dancing. Right. on a turntable i uh, can't remember the name of it but go from that chronologically through his entire body of work and just do an episode per, per film so much. so much and such different styles as well yeah from Fitzcarraldo and Wojciech and all those klaus kinski masterpieces to uh what was the the remake he did with nicholas cage bad lieutenant Yes. Genius. And then to the documentaries the grizzly man one. and all that uh, yeah 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 the harvey Keitel is the original yeah. that's a great film isn't it yeah, that's amazing. I wasn't allowed to watch that growing up. Well, I should hope not. <laughs> it's pretty, he's doing cocaine injections one yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a really good director, that guy, Abel Ferrara. He, did, he also did The King of New York with Christopher Walken. I don't know if you ever saw I've, that. I've seen it advertised, but never seen it. Great film. Yeah, yeah. So you're a movie guy as well? Yeah. Big movie I, guy. So Stuart will tell you. We, to no Harmony Corrin, you must be yeah, I, invested I, in cinema. I'm invested into what interests me. Yeah. So I've got loads of pockets of surface pop knowledge, and you'll be like, how do you not know? And I'll be, well, I just went down a rabbit hole for two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought, you know, um, I was in any, any kind of the Dogma 95, you know, the idiots and, yep. and any stuff that wasn't officially Dogma 95. I had to do the sin rep, you know, rep thing at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Julian Donkey bought, I mean, Gummo. Yeah. And, I, and to find You've out. You've seen Trash Humpers, right? Uh, uh no, I don't think I have. Got, if you like Harmony Corrin, you've got to see Trash Humpers. I know. I came away from him for a little bit. Yeah, you got to get yeah, some space. Yeah, I'll get back did in. Did you there. watch Spring Breakers? What did yes. you think of that? Uh, hated Look it. at all my shit. <laughs> I got shorts every fucking color. I got gold teeth. Look at all my shit. I thought Franco is brilliant in that. I didn't know what to think of it. And that's what he does really well. Which Absolutely. Is he'll yeah. just subvert you mm. and serve you something. And then you realize what is great about it. So... Did you ever get into Jim Jarmusch? Have you seen his stuff? No, I don't think so. So he was of that same 90s independent American cinema school as Tarantino and Rodriguez and people like oh, that. really? But more of a kind of New York art school flavor to it. So he had uh, a, like a string of great films in the 90s. Down by Law was one really good one with Roberto Benigni and Tom Waits. I love Roberto Benigni. He did Night on Earth, which is a film about six different cab drivers in six cities around the world, and that's got Winona Ryder in, a few other great actors. Roberto Ghost Benigni. Dog, he did, with Forrest Whitaker. Oh, that's it. With the Samurai. With the, yeah, the Wu-Tang soundtrack. Whoa. And then uh, Dead Man with Johnny Depp, black and white Western film. Really good. Really? But yeah, check out Jim Jarmusch. I'll I think definitely check him out. He'd like his work. Yeah. Um, can I um, quickly just ask, because we've been all over... And was that the hope, or is what, what do you mean? <laughs> was it was it your hope yeah. that, we would, that we would go here, there, yeah, and everywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. or, yeah. or I am mean, I throwing you off such, course? No, no, no. You give me such great answers that each one has got a little tributary that we've explored, and I love it. All right, cool. But there were a couple of things I did. What I made little notes in my head about what you were talking about, and um, I want to come back to your back. Yes, but I want to talk about conflict. Yes, and I could not the punk band. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the uh, yeah, do you feel 
do you think that conflict's necessary in your life um, for you to produce good things? For me, it's inescapable. I've always been a very contradictory character. I've always been somebody that's, you know, quite wild and untamed and a bit of a party monster. Going back to that Hunter S. Thompson school of thought, I like being shocking and controversial and out of control and but, all, but all of those qualities. But also whatever you want to do. Is that a yeah, complete, I mean, well, No one with, prescribing with, to you. Without harming others, yeah. I like to yeah. be completely and utterly free to do what I want to do without harming others. And I'm not going to, you know, that's I, my tagline in life. If I had a good Tinder bio, it should be just not play well with others, which wouldn't really work on Tinder, I guess. But, you know, I like being independent because I don't like being told what to do. And it's not a problem with authority. It's a problem with bureaucracy. I don't like the red tape and I don't like politics. I, you know, not world politics, but what politics are, within. What are politics? How do you define them? Complications. Um, you know, red tape. You know, I want to do this. Well, you can't do that because of this. Well, that's politics getting in the way of doing what should be something clear, simple, easy, and direct. Why do they? Why does it occur? Why do they? Because business in, often involves so contracts a, and so a conflict between the action and then a structure around it. Structure, I think, yeah. And you know, I get that it's there in place because the higher you go up in business, there yeah. obviously needs to be certain. You know, uh, what's the word? Things that are put in place to help things work. Processes, yeah, I guess processes. Procedures. Yeah, procedures. So, and and I, I don't like adhering to that. I don't subscribe to that. Here, I'll give you an example. I'm not going to use the name, but um, I'm doing some work with someone, uh, like a celebrity, and we're doing a bunch of live shows. Sure. Uh, in fact, no, I won't tell that story because it'd be too obvious who it I was is. Say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, 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 we're working out. Let's mate. just say that if you just, if I know a, an artist or uh, an actor or a musician, and I want to have them on my podcast, yeah. if I just hit them up, you want to go direct. I want to go direct, it. man, because. The minute you have to go through all the other people, it slows it down. And I know I can get it done. I've got, I've got the guy that I need and I've, I've got the tools and the capabilities to just get this done. And it's back to that whole punk rock thing. And I don't want to go through the official channels because it's going to slow things down. And, and I, I've never been good at playing the game mm. ever. Um, but going back to the conflict thing, yeah. uh, I'm also a sensitive person, and I also don't like being perceived as, like, the wild guy. Like, I want to be perceived as someone who's intelligent and sensitive and thoughtful and emotionally deep. And, you know, so I'm often at odds with that in myself. And often I get, you know, on one hand, I don't care what people think about me. But then I really do care what people think about me because I don't want them to think bad things of me. So I've always been quite you know, uh, a contradictory figure within myself and I've always been at battle with myself. How do I want to be perceived by the world? How do I want to be? And I think about this a lot, which is maybe dark, but I think about legacy a lot, not in a lofty way. I just think if I died tomorrow, how would I be remembered? Would I be remembered as a good guy? That's all I'd want to be remembered as. Well, hey, what good about guy. if you'd be remembered? At all. Yeah. Well, I mean just really by the immediate people that I've impacted. So friends, family. So in their time they've got left, do they remember you in a positive way? Yeah. Do they sit around and remember me fondly or do they go, fucking that guy's he a never got a it. prick? Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And I like he to was... have a little ripple effect. Like, you know, that's why I'm in broadcasting and there's a certain sense of ego there. Um, you know, I, I think that unless you have a tiny bit of that pushing you, don't go on a public platform because you're going to get criticized. People are going to try and knock you down. And if you can't deal with the positive and the negative, because I think once you're public domain, to whatever scale that is, you have to be willing to accept criticism as well as praise and i'd like to just be in the camp of praise more so than criticism do you so know what i mean I, with I the don't... things that i do with the podcasts and with the but you've said it there they come literally together in the same post so mm. i think the only answer is don't don't read your post 
Oh, completely. That is the the moral and the message. But what I mean is once you're gone, you can't read them anyway. Yeah. So it's not even so much for me. It's just I just want to put good out into the world. Do you know, yeah. I want to leave good behind. As I said, I'm probably not going to be a parent unless something happens in my life. At this stage, I feel like I'm not. And so I'm not going to leave behind a kid. So I'd like to leave behind something else, you know, and, you know, whether that's inspiring somebody to get into broadcasting, just one person through yeah. hearing a podcast, you know, or in, inspiring somebody to check out a body of work by a filmmaker or an artist that I've suggested that then has a slight imprint and impact on their life. Just little things like that to me. It's like a spider diagram, you know, yeah. a spider web. Like it filters out. You have done that. Every conversation you've had probably from a kid as an enthusiastic kid consuming art all the way through your life and into broadcasting, into being independent. You've done that your entire – be, I think it would be mental to think, if I can use that phrase, you haven't – You can use it around me. <laughs> you haven't done that. I, I, am, I think you absolutely have done that. But I want to I wanna just ask a question – why is it important? Because you said you want to be thought of as being kind, and you said intelligent as well. Yeah. Why is that important? Ego, because I have a certain ego, and I'd like to. Why be... are intelligent people or people who are? How do you define intelligence? First of all, intelligence is a an awareness of yourself and the world around you. That's how I define it. Oh, okay. Not so are you not the knowledge. smartest guy in the room? It's well, knowledge is a fo- awareness is a form of knowledge, isn't it? You're you're aware enough to acknowledge the fact that there's something going on here what about the previous world the historical world i think everybody should know as much as they can about history you know my history is a lot more intrinsically linked to the art so i can tell you about the history of music and cinema a lot more so than you know russian history although my russian history is fairly (laughs) fairly good good, because i did it at a level and there's certain areas that i have a, a basic understanding and knowledge of i think intelligence is important because if you're not bettering yourself by cultivating your brain then again what are you doing with your life if you're just if you're not taking in new information and retaining that information on a daily basis, however minuscule it is, are you really evolving as a species? Are you really living your life? You know, this bullshit millennial phrase, living my best life. Yeah. A lot of these people who post that are not living their best life because they're just taking a a selfie of themselves holding up the peace sign. I'd be like, well, do you know where that sign comes from? Do you know about the evolution of that from the archers and the Normandy battle, you know, through to Churchill? And do you know about just little tiny things like that? Are you doing anything actually that suggests that you are indeed living your best life? Or are you just a sap on humanity? (laughs) I just think... So you've got both sides. You've got this lovely, kind side. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who communes and connects. I don't suffer fools. So I want to understand, (laughs) um, what do you think that people will think about you after you've passed away? Do you think they'll say he was so intelligent? No, I don't think anybody will say that. Um, so what is, what is the most powerful effect you have on other people while you're alive? Well, I have a lot of, I would say, I don't know whether enemies is too strong a word, but I certainly receive little help or support from the industry that I'm in. And whether or not that's because going back to what I was saying earlier about me not playing well with others, I certainly don't play the game. I don't abide by the rules. And I know that there's a lot of resentment towards me within my industry. I feel it. I just feel it with the lack of help. You and left support. the industry. Well, no, because I still very much operate within it by interviewing musicians and dealing with PRs and record labels and management companies on a daily basis. I'm still very much entrenched within the media and music industry. It's just that I'm operating independently. But, but, I still but that's what I mean. Much... Yeah, you are an independent. And what you've found, you, you are, you're choosing to operate outside of the... 
completely system. in your comfort zone. So you don't have you have the power to. And I, I say this from this position of I run a company and we engage with people. And if I was employed with a, a three thousand person company, every single day you'd have to get on with Jim or Susan or the rest of it. Yeah, and we I don't, don't so do I that. don't. Yeah, so, so and people, a lot of people don't like that. They won't because they're they're looking through the prism of well, I'm playing the game. Why can't he? Mm, and he's getting to do all this cool, fun stuff. And I think social media is a big thing, isn't it? Because people look at my life from the outside in and go, "Oh, he's always how is this guy always doing stuff? He's always interviewing famous people. He's yeah. always going on tour." How come him and not me? Well, I'll tell you why. I've sacrificed relationships. Mm. Uh, I've lived at home with my mum at the age of 33 for the last two years whilst I've built my podcast up to a level where I can earn from it. I've made great sacrifices in my life as people my age group and my oldest friends have bought houses, got yeah. married, had yeah. kids, have done yeah. adult stuff. I've Peter panned it, and yeah, I've had a good time, but you know, there's, there's, been, there's been sacrifices. And, do you, you but know. you believe they're sacrifices? Well, yeah, I've missed certain weddings, stag do's, things like this, because I couldn't afford to go on them with friends oh. that I've known for many, many years, and you know, I know that that's hurt them, and it's disappointed them, and it's then had a certain effect on that relationship and friendship um you know they forgive and they understand but there's always a point where they're like well you, you weren't at, that. you weren't at my wedding and you chose that over me and that's the same with my ex-girlfriends and previous partners is you chose your creative dreams and your professional path over me and that's a, a tough pill to swallow and i understand i would hate that if that happened to me so i understand I you know the you resentment and the pain when that comes up i genuinely think the alternative is worse well, yeah, because then I'm going to wake up one day and realize that I hate my life. Yeah. Well, no, you won't have to achieve what you've done or you'd yeah. have a different path, let's say. But you would be putting other people first. What I'm saying is yeah. I'm selfish. So are you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no I, I am. But the reason I am selfish is because, again, I was brought up in this very brutal home environment uh, where my escape, to... my escape from the reality of the, the stuff that was going on was I've got to take care of me. Yeah. I'm going to go out and have fun with my friends because otherwise I'm just going to miss out on my teenage years by visiting my mum in hospital all the time. And I would do that, of course. Sure. But the minute that visiting hour is over, I'm then going to go out with my mates. I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to live my best life because, I, <laughs> do you know, that's the definition of it. it. I started it, yeah, back in 1998. <laughs> and um, so going back to that initial question, how will I be remembered as a bit of a jerk, definitely by some people? Um, as arrogant, perhaps, by others. But again, that goes back to that thing of, well, I have to have a certain element of self-confidence to do what I do. Uh, but you've and got I'm the self-awareness gonna... with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely self-deprecating, and I'm very, very humble. There's people out there who might disagree with that, but I don't think that the world shines out of my ass at all. You know, I just have to have a certain front to do what I do. And to be self-employed and completely freelance in every shape or form and you know I'm, I'm out there every day hustling to make a living and it's a grind and it's it's hardcore and it's you know it's not for the faint-hearted so you've got to have a bit of a resilience to that as well i'd like to be remembered by the friends that i have as being somebody who's kind and generous and considerate over intelligent but then to the people who don't know me as well but maybe have listened to a podcast or see me you know host something if i did god forbid die tomorrow they'd at least go but that guy was cool. He was switched on. Thanks so much for coming. My on. pleasure, dude. Thank you. Oh.